0: We invite our children to be dismissed for their time of worship. As our children are dismissed, we take a moment to give thanks to God for good music, beautiful music that leads us. The words to this morning's anthem are actually on the cover of the order of service. They're old words, uh, but they are profound and they are convey what I think we all hope we will receive when we come into a space like this, and that is some kind of centering, that no matter what happens in our lives, God is still there, and God still loves you, and this love uh, shapes us and makes us be different people, different people. So let's take a moment now to pray for each other. And let's pray uh, for the whole world uh, that we might, on this Transfiguration Sunday, find that love that centers everything. Let's bow together and pray. May your voice be heard, even as it was heard on that mountain. May it be heard by more than just our physical ears may be heard by the ears of our heart that we are loved. That you seek to be well pleased with us as we follow Jesus. So, give us the capacity today to step forward and begin that journey of faith. May we bear love in the world in the midst of anger and confusion, in the midst of enemies May we, by your love, have the capacity to see the world differently, even as we are shaped with all of your children around the world by the prayer that Jesus taught, praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, I know that this is an annual sermon given on uh, the Sunday before the Lenten season begins. We hear this transfiguration story every single year. But in our defense, I'll say this. It is in three out of the four Gospels, and it's referenced in Second Peter. So this is important stuff. In fact, I, I wonder if it is for us a sign, something that we're being invited to understand more deeply. One of the things I notice about the text uh, in Matthew, as well as Mark and Luke, Is that none of the gospel writers try to tell us what this is supposed to mean for us? They don't interpret it, they just tell the story. This milestone moment happens. What does it mean? What does it mean? Beyond just the literal story, what does it mean? The story itself provides three revealing clues, the first one, of course, being the context in which it's written. Six days later, Matthew writes, six days later, Jesus goes up onto the mountain with Peter and James and John. Six days earlier, Jesus had been talking to his disciples about this seminal point in the gospel. If you want to be my follower, here's how you do it. You deny yourself and you take up your cross and you come and you follow me. This transfiguration moment, this God glow, this revealing burst happens on the very heels of Jesus claiming that the sacred way, the only way, is the way of the cross, the way of love. And he invites these followers, that's when things break forth. The second clue seems to me is obviously Jesus shining like the sun. Either he swallowed some radioactive pills or something else is at work here because his face, his clothes glow. I think it's a reference to humanity being a glow with God. It's, it's his humanness that glows, who he is most deeply in his soul begins to seep out through his human body, his human flesh, and his clothing. Light begins to be revealed. This honest, revealing, humble power, this one who is at one with God, is being revealed. Now, in some ways, this part of the story feels weird to us. Someone glowing, someone shining like the sun. But haven't you had moments in your life where you've seen Humanity and life aglow with God? Have you not been in a moment at a, a play or in a reading of a poetry, piece of poetry or seen a piece of art that reveals something about God in such a way that it's like the light comes on and it's revealed or it might happen in a person Uh, a a parent and a child in that tender act of self-giving you see that moment where it's more real and more beautiful than you've ever seen before or maybe it's an adult with an aging parent and in the tenderness and in the connection you see what is most important in life oh it glows You feel like taking off your shoes. You're you're on holy ground. Or maybe you're walking through the woods and it occurs to you how everything works together. How the harmony of God wastes nothing, makes space for everything and every one of the creatures in, in the forest. And you realize this is God at work and it glows like the sun. The third clue is, of course, this cameo appearance right at the moment of Jesus revealing himself, this light breaking forth, this cameo appearance from people from the past, Moses and Elijah. These aren't amateurs. These are, these are heavy hitters. We're talking about a blast from the past. This is like when in the movie Lion King when King Mufasa dies and suddenly appears to Simba in the, in, in the stars. He's there with him. Moses and Elijah are there with Jesus. Moses has been gone for 1,600 years by this time. But Moses represents for the people of God. The one who received and gave the law, our stained glass windows have Moses holding the Ten Commandments, for this is his identity. Yes, he did speak truth to power like a prophet, saying to Pharaoh, "Let my people go." but his main identity for the people of God is the one is being the one who brought this incredible gift, the law. The law was given to people by God as a way to say, "Here are your boundaries." Here are ways to live in health and wholeness. Here is your identity. Here is who you are. Here's the way to safety, and here's how to live in community. What a great gift. Moses. Also with Jesus that day was Elijah. From 600 years earlier. Elijah is the number one prophet of all the prophets. Obadiah. Obadiah. Zephaniah, Micah, Jonah, all those minor prophets who, I guess minor prophets mean they're, they're, their songs can be sung to House of the Rising Sun or something. They're minor prophets. Um, sorry, uh, I shouldn't have thrown that in. Um, <laughs> but Elijah goes up to King Ahab and Jezebel and speaks the truth to them goes to the religious leaders of his day and speaks the truth to them because prophecy is about justice. It's about taking God's abundance and making it accessible for all. Prophecy is about inclusion. It's about speaking the word and the will of God into the world no matter what. So there they are, Moses and Elijah. They're with Jesus. William Faulkner said the past is never dead. It's not even past. It's right here with us. And we know this to be true. There are people here in this room who aren't physically with us, right? These these windows represent the cloud of witnesses. Those who are no longer physically here, but they're with us. They're with us. Moses and Elijah were there with Jesus. They're part of his cloud of witness. Jesus quotes extensively from Moses. The law, the first five books of the Hebrew scripture, the Pentateuch, he quotes from them regularly. He he mimics Elijah, how Elijah preaches, how Elijah acts. Even one of his miracles of raising a child mirrors that which Elijah had done before him. In other words, it's as if Moses and Elijah live in Jesus. Like parents live in a child, they're with the child, they're with them always. The child isn't just the sum of the parts. The child takes what is handed and develops it, gives it personality, builds on it, amends it, you might even say fulfills what came before. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah. I didn't come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. Now, how do you build on Moses and Elijah, really? How do you top what they've done? It's not a matter of topping. It's a matter of completing. Moses gave the great gift of the law, as we've said. The boundaries, the identity, the health, the humility, the sense of order, the ability to point to that which is sacred. It's all so very wonderful. But Paul reminds us that the law can actually lose its soul. It can die. It can, it can just go dead. We've seen that, right? Right? We've seen laws that sort of lose their purpose. They get reduced from laws, guidelines, f- truths to rules. Do this, don't do that. And the rules can, over time, lose their power, lose their purpose, lose, lose their intention. Rules even get stupid sometimes. Sometimes. Ask Lauren Jones Mayfield about an encounter she saw with a door monitor uh, where they were uh, keeping all the young dancers for the Nutcracker uh, behind a door, and a mother just wanted to go in and snap a picture. But the door monitor, no, no, no. No one is allowed in. Rule keepers can get judgy and bossy, And sometimes oppressive. Same thing is true with uh, prophecy. How can Jesus possibly improve on the prophecy of Elijah? Speaking of justice and fairness. Challenging religion when it gets in bed with the powers. Speaking about God's abundance and the need not to hoard things. But you know what happens with prophecy? Prophecy is always challenging. Prophecy is always confronting. And prophecy is... A lot of times losing. When it goes up against the powers, it often gets defeated. And it gets frustrating. And people can get righteously indignant. And again, I would encourage you to refer to Lauren Jones Mayfield and what happens when the crazy door monitor won't let anyone in to take a picture of her daughter. Righteous indignation breaks forth. People get nuts. And in more serious situations, it devolves into anger and judgment and binary thinking. We're right, you're wrong, we're good, you're bad, we're in, you're out. And binary thinking leads us to ultimately become blind. We can't see anymore, and we begin to hate people. And into this mix, where law can devolve to rules, where prophecy can devolve into judgment, in comes Jesus, the vital ingredient, it seems to me. Someone referred to him as the the yeast in all of this, the thing that makes law and prophecy come alive again. Or you might say he's living water to a freeze-dried law and prophecy that is somehow atrophied down to nothing, Jesus comes along and adds the missing ingredient of love. Love. Not the kind of love that we celebrate at Valentine's Day. Not the kind of love that is about personal preference. But rather the kind of love that is willing to sacrifice, willing to give, willing to yield, willing to take up a cross. This love is the indispensable ingredient in our world. Paul, St. Paul, the great rule keeper, former Pharisee, said, Look, here's the deal. Law without love is ritual without meaning. He said it eloquently in his letter to the Corinthians. He said, even if I have the gift of prophecy and can think all these wonderful things and have all these lofty thoughts, if I don't have love, it eh, doesn't count. What I'm suggesting is that this transfiguration story that we repeat every year is actually for us, I think, a sign It's a sign of the important and indispensable role that the people of God, the followers of Jesus, have in this world today, and that is to embody with our lives, with our faces and our clothing, with all that we are, to embody this indispensable ingredient of love in how we live, in how we think, in how we react, in how we act, in how we speak about the law, and how we apply justice without love. We're like a noisy gong or clanging cymbals. I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, said Jesus. I didn't come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. And that's what he does. He completes it. He brings everything together and harmonizes it. You might say he fulfills it. The law provides good boundaries. Justice, prophecy rep- uh, affords us this abundance of God that says there's enough in this world for everyone if we don't hoard. Law makes, love makes law humane. Love makes prophecy true For all, not just the poor, for all. The writer of Ecclesiastes said a three strand cord is not easily broken. The law, the prophets, love. It is what our nation most needs today. In today's political climate, Which in some ways can be characterized as a battle between law and prophecy. Devolved. They turn on each other. Law is about keeping rules. There are rules and they must be kept. Prophecy is about saying the rules are unfair, there needs to be justice for the oppressed. What can bridge the gap? What can call us together again as a people who can not only fight with each other, but hear each other deeply to get to the point where we begin to think and understand from another person's point of view? The only solution, it seems to me, is to be transformed and born again by love. If you've not been transformed by love, then this isn't your concern really yet. But those who are being transformed by love, who have allowed Jesus' story, his message, his way to get past the sentry guard in our brains and allowed it to get into our hearts, what happens is we allow our most vulnerable places where we're fearful where we're insecure, where we think we're not good enough or where we think we messed it up too badly to ever be forgiven again, we allow love into that space. And we watch and wait to see it heal us. Love heals insecurities. Sacred love lifts our shame. It calms our angers. It quiets our fears. It takes law and prophecy that have somehow gotten freeze-dried and love baptizes it again in living water and brings them to life again. It awakens people. It interrupts plans. It asks questions like, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? It puts us on new paths And it changes everything. I've watched it. You've watched it. You've watched love heal relationships and free people from depression and raise dead marriages and change people's minds and give people courage when they're feeling cowardly so that they can realize, hey, if God is for us, who can be against us? If I'm made in love, by love, for love. And as Paul said, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can persecution or famine, nakedness, peril or sword? I'm convinced Paul said that not in death or life. Angels, rulers, things present, things to come, the past, powers, heights, depths, nothing in creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ. This week someone walked into my office. Their life had gotten so off track. Fear. Fear insecurity, impulsivity had taken them way off the path and into the ditch. But they came in to tell me this. While I was in the ditch God spoke to me. They said, I I know it feels weird to say God spoke to me but I felt reminded that I'm a child of God. And it's like it woke me up And it healed my pain. And it gave me the courage to say, I am doing wrong. And I'm going in the wrong direction. And I have to tell you, as I was hearing these words spoken, I began to hear in the back of my mind, not with my physical ears, but with the ear of my heart, an old song from my childhood. Love lifted me. Love lifted me when nothing else could help. Love lifted me. Don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I didn't come to abolish. I came to fulfill them. Let's pray together. And so may love abound. In this day of ours where intellect and logic and rationality seem to rule the day. We're grateful for a space and a time and a people who invite words of love, who have seen the light in Jesus and all around the world in the smallest of things and have awakened May we live in this love. May we swim, in around, swim around in it as a people, and may we be so saturated by, the, by it that as we walk from this place, your glory blazes in our faces, in all that we are and do. To your glory now, always. Amen.